Schneider with Class Notes for Broadway Radio. I'm here with Tom Sesma, cast member in A Man of No Importance at Classic Stage Company. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. And let's just talk a little bit about the, the show itself. Lina Hearns, Stephen Flaherty, and Terrence McNally's acclaimed musical, A Man of No Importance, tells the story of an amateur theater group in the 1960s in Dublin, determined to stage a production of Oscar Wilde's Salome, despite the objections of local church authorities, they confront the forces of bigotry and shame over a love, quote, that dare not speak its name. That's a lot to approach. And of course, we have... <laughs> John Doyle, as the director of this piece, Tom, how did the audition for you come about? Well, um, I was very, very uh, blessed. I wasn't asked to audition. I was just invited to take part in the production. I had worked with John twice before. Uh, the first time in 2016, 2017, on his revival of Pacific Overtures at Classic Stage Company. Um, and um, then in 2018, on um, the resistible rise of Arturo Ui um, by Bertolt Brecht, also a classic stage company. The only time I ever auditioned for John was for that production of Pacific Overtures. And it was kind of a standard audition. Uh, you know, I had an appointment. Uh, I had been given sides and music. Uh, no, I wasn't asked to learn any music. I was asked to bring in my own music. Um, and, uh, and I went in. John had seen my work before. We had met on social occasions. Uh, I, I just want to throw in also that John Doyle is, I think, the kindest person an actor could ever audition for. Mm -hmm. He is rooting for you from the moment you come in the room. He wants to know who you are. He wants to know... Um, he, does, he doesn't necessarily ask you any direct questions, but I think he's very curious about what drives you, what's important to you. And he has an innate talent for seeing, an innate instinct for seeing that and how you behave and how you relax. Uh, and, you know, in the end, I sang a song for him. Um, he didn't ask me to read the sides because he had seen my work before. As a matter of fact, he mm -hmm. said, you know, it, it's, it's, it's clear you can act. I can look at your resume and see that you can act. Mm -hmm. uh, John is much more interested in um, choosing people that he wants to be in a room with for six to eight hours a day to make mm -hmm. theater. Um, he knows what we can do. He knows how we've been trained. Uh, but he has uh, a reflexive instinct for um, whether he wants to make theater with a person uh, by the end of that time. Mm -hmm. At least mm -hmm. that's my experience. Uh, honestly, I, I probably shouldn't speak for any other actor, um, even other doilies, as, as uh, <laughs> people have called us. But uh, that's what it was like. Um, well, I, I, I have to say, walking out of that room... Uh, I didn't know whether I, was get, whether I was going to get the job. I was actually kind of skeptical that I would uh, for any number of reasons. Uh, but I probably felt better about myself leaving that room that afternoon than almost any audition that I've ever had in my career. John's mm. that kind of guy. 
a, a special director. And of course, that production of Pacific Overtures is where you received a Lortel nomination. I did. And that was a little shocking, too. I, I was uh, I was stunned. Um, mm. <laughs> I, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it was a remarkable thing because the cast was a, the quintessential ensemble cast mm -hmm. telling a single story. George Takei was uh, was I guess if there was a star of the show, he was the lead mm -hmm. uh, being the reciter. But uh, we all played such an elemental integrative part in making that play. Mm. That, um, I almost felt a little bit embarrassed to be singled out. <laughs> well, as a doily, <laughs> how has your working relationship evolved? And where what do you bring differently or the same as, as an actor to the work that you do on a play that John is directing? That's such an interesting question. I, and I'll be absolutely honest, I don't know what I bring differently to any subsequent production that I've ever been in with John, other than the fact that uh, when I go into the theater, when I go into the studio at the beginning of any particular rehearsal day, I kind of know that I'm an empty vessel. I embrace the idea that, or to use another metaphor, that I'm a blank slate. Um, and John is an artist. Um, I'm a component in what he creates. Um, it, it's a remarkable experience. It's one of those things where um, John is so present um, in every single moment as an artist, as a creative artist. Um, I guess some people would say uh, he throws everything at the wall just to see what sticks. But it's not haphazard. It's, it's rooted in the play itself. It's rooted in the story that he's discovering. I think when you work with John, you find yourself on a journey where you're learning more and more about the play, whatever mm -hmm. that play is. You're learning more and more about the craft of acting. And because of the way John works, because of his generosity and his curiosity in what drives you and how you create, you learn more about yourself, not just as an artist, but as a person. Mm. Mm -hmm. I've never experienced that with anyone else, <laughs> and, you know, and, and throughout our work, all of us as artists, we're a very peculiar breed, uh, performing mm -hmm. artists. Um, we give a lot of lip service to that. I can't speak for any other actor, but I know that in my long career, I've only experienced that with John. Maybe with Twyla Tharp, but, you know, <laughs> but with John present. Uh -huh every single day uh -huh. um, and it, it's extraordinary i don't know Ooh. if that answers the question but sure that sums it up mm. you know it's funny we all look at each other at any point during the day all of us in the cast uh because i think we're all like-minded about this uh and i think we all share the same thought how can we possibly explain this to anyone <laughs> who hasn't experienced it. It's almost impossible. It's so intensely personal. But it's one of the gifts of working with John. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
in the rehearsal studio, I'm curious, were Lena Hearns and Stephen Flaherty there and around and yes, part of yes. the process? Stephen and Lynn were there. Um, Stephen and Lynn were there almost every single day, uh, tinkering, retooling, cutting material, writing new material, um, figuring out a new balance for how the play sings. Also, this particular production um, uses John's signature style of the actor-musician on stage. There are several members of the acting cast um, who I would qualify as virtuoso musicians in addition <laughs> to being brilliant actors. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, they don't switch back and forth. They're one and the same, the actor-musician. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if um, you could say there, uh, there are three violinists, for instance, or three of them play violins in addition mm -hmm. to a couple other, uh, several other instruments. Uh, but those violins become actors in themselves. Mm -hmm. they're, that, mm -hmm. they're that good. They're that deft. Um, that's a, I don't want to say a conceit, but that's, um, that's a, um, a gem that John mined uh, while, while creating theater. Um, it's, yeah, it, it, uh, so Lynn and Steve, you know, had that, Lynn and Steve had that task before them to make that work in a new and interesting way, except it wasn't compartmentalized. I mean, they weren't separate doing their own thing. They were, they were uh, working in tandem with John the full time. Um, and yeah. there was one other person in the room, or I should say the spirit of somebody in the room, and that was Terrence mm -hmm. McNally. Of course. Um, John was a, John was a, I would say he was a custodian of Terrence's spirit. And Terrence's husband, uh, Tom Curtahay, a friend of the huh? production, was also in the room on several occasions. Um, it was very palpable. You know, I went through this, uh, a couple of years ago when I did a show at Playwrights Horizons just before the pandemic called Unknown Soldier um, that Michael Friedman uh, composed. Michael Friedman passed away uh, two years before, um, unfortunately, and the, and the piece was never finished, uh, mm. at least uh, when Michael was there. But his creative team, Trip Coleman and Danny Goldstein, did very much the same thing that Tom Curtihay and Stephen and Lynn and John did. And they were custodians of, you might say, uh, Terrence's spirit, or mm. in the case of Unknown Soldier, Michael's spirit. Mm -hmm. So in both of those situations, um, Michael and Terrence, who have gone to, I don't know, I guess some people would say a better place, some other place, mm. were very much... Uh, a part of the creative process. Mm -hmm. Doing this play now, particularly with the insight that you're sharing with us, this production feels historic. It does. And, yeah, I, I can't put my finger on exactly why. I just know that it does. The time, the place, the actors, the creative team. What does it feel like for you? And can you talk about that a bit? Well, it's very special. I mean, I used the word custodian earlier, um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that in many ways we as storytellers are custodians of, of um, the subtext, if you will, um, 
of the story. You know, we're living we're living in a time of uh, censorship. We're living in a time of identity repression. Um, we're living at a time when, you know, on a completely different level, uh, when storytelling is being um, uh, commoditized. Is that a word? Um, you know, it's being made easier, simpler, uh, more palatable, easily, more easily digestible for the audience. You know, um, I hate to use the word more superficial, but in a way it is. And this play does and always has, even in its earlier incarnations, uh, reach deeper uh, to try to touch the spirit of whoever might be watching. You know, the play is about identity. Mm -hmm. It's about claiming one's identity, coming to terms with one's identity for better and for worse. Mm -hmm. um, accepting it as, as a cross, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and uh, to use that same Christic illusion, you know, the cross is is a mystery because it's a scandal and it's a victory at the same time. You know, mm -hmm. it's something we bear that's very, very heavy, yet it's something that liberates us at the same time. That's mm -hmm. what this play is about underneath it all. And I think it's interesting because I think that, um, I think that surprises the audience. Um, they, I've never experienced an audience uh, being as moved as they are as a whole and as individuals as I have with the show. It's extraordinary. Mm. You know, uh, when we were working in the show, talking about being moved, uh, as we were getting closer and closer to the ending, all of us were getting really, really emotional. I mean, you know, uh, we were in tears at the end, you know, when we staged the end of the show. Usually when you do things like that in, a, in any production, you know, where there's a happy ending, a sad ending, a bittersweet ending, where, where you move to tears, that wears off after a while in the run of the show. It's actually gotten a little bit worse with this one. <laughs> it's, it's an extraordinary experience, and I cannot explain it. It works on a deep emotional and, I, dare I say, spiritual level. Because I think, as I said, it's about identity and uh, all of our identities individually and collectively are wrapped up in that. Oh, Tom, it's so what we hope and want theater to be. And your insight to the work and this production has been so valuable. I thank you. Well, thank you. It's, it's an extraordinary, you know, I wouldn't trade this for anything. It, you know, and it's funny, you know, I think, I think a lot of us feel this way when we get to do very, very special things, but I've never felt more about this than anything in my life. And that is that if, if this were the last thing that I ever did, uh, that would be great. That would be fine. I would be perfectly satisfied. And, you know, it's funny, um, going back to Pacific Overtures, I, um, one of the things that I did at Pacific Overtures is I sang someone in a tree, um, which uh, even Sondheim himself said was very possibly um, the best thing he's ever written or one of his favorite things. 
Um, I recently sang it for John Doyle at a gala for Classic Stage Company that was honoring John Doyle on his way uh, out as artistic director. This is his uh, final production at Classic Stage Company as artistic director. Uh, and I got to sing that song again. He came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, if Sondheim had only written that song and nothing else, that would have been enough for him and for all oh. of us. That's exactly how I feel about playing my part in A Man of No Importance oh. or just being a small part of that production. If that were the only thing that I ever did in my entire career, that would be enough. Uh, well, that's very powerful. And on that note, I'm going to wrap us up. <laughs> well, thank and... you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you. I'm Lauren Class Schneider with Tom Sesma, cast member in A Man of No Importance at Classic Stage Company. Thank you. Thank you.